Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not contain or replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Jane Hume, thank you so much uh, for joining My Millennial Money. And on behalf of all our listeners, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I just wanted to start, like, can you give us the broad brushstrokes of your portfolio? I'd love to give you broad brushstrokes of the portfolio, but it's such an enormous portfolio. It's kind of impossible to go any deeper without taking up the whole of the podcast. So, my title is Assistant Minister uh, for uh, superannuation, financial services and financial technology. But I'm actually the Assistant Minister to the Treasurer. I just look after those specific areas on his behalf. So financial services obviously covers an enormous range of issues, uh, whether it be in financial advice or, or um, uh, funds management or banking, uh, particularly the Hainwell Commission recommendations and implementing those. That's where that one comes from. Superannuation, I think we all know what that is, and and that covers the you know the, the tax structures of super as well as some of the the regulatory environment, managing the funds, um, and and interacting with those stakeholders. And then fintech, which is a really interesting part of the portfolio, I think, uh, is is quite new. You know, that's been carved out of the industry innovation and science portfolio for the first time. And and I think, and that was done specifically by the prime minister because he places such enormous value and sees the potential in uh, the fintech industry in Australia, not just as an export opportunity or a standalone industry, but also what it can do for for competition and bringing down prices for for consumers. Yeah. Now, I thought I would mainly, I would guess, talk about super because there's one part of your portfolio being super that affects everybody if you're a working Australian. Now, in your experience, what are the benefits of our super system as opposed to other countries? Because I'm sure you get to look under the hood of different countries' super systems. So, what are some of the key standouts that you see? Well, we often refer to Australia's superannuation system as the envy of the world. And it is, but it's a little bit like comparing apples and oranges. There isn't a system out there that replicates ours. There are components of other people's super systems that replicate ours, but not the overarching thing. So our superannuation system has brought around much higher savings for Australians. Uh, we've really built household wealth over the last 30 years, having a compulsory system. Um, and, uh, and, of course, superannuation is now uh, this often the second most significant asset uh, in a household, you know, behind a house. Um, it's also dramatically improved the diversification of assets that people hold, particularly for lower and middle income earners. So if you had have looked... 20, 30 years ago, if you had a middle income earner, they might have had their house, they might have had some shares perhaps, and then some cash. 
But now uh, they own global shares. They might own investment in you know, large uh, listed or unlisted property. They might have investments in alternative assets or um, private equity or infrastructure, things that would normally be out of reach for, for you know, the average person. Uh, so it is massively diversified. Uh, and it's also made us, because of that, it's actually made us one of the, the wealthiest countries in the world in terms of, of household savings. But it's not a perfect system because, you know, it's not without its problems. Um, it's defined contribution rather than defined benefit. So what that means is that, uh, you know, it's single account. Everybody has their own specific account rather than a pooled investment trust. And you only take out what you put in. Um, which means that it can run out. Uh, and if you don't have enough on retirement, eventually it will run out. Now, we're very lucky. We have such a generous pension as a safety net as well to, to, to compensate if your money does run out. But I actually think that it's, there are some inefficiencies in our system that can be fixed, you know. It's because it's a passive system, because it's compulsory, people don't necessarily engage in what their money is going into. It's very complicated, um, and because of that, uh, the compulsory nature, it has made uh, it has made a lot of the providers of superannuation quite lazy. You know, there's things that have been allowed to proliferate, like multiple accounts, um, high fees, uh, persistent underperformance of a number of funds that people just sit in and don't move around, and uh, and also things like insurances that people might not necessarily understand, know that they have potentially can't claim on even if they even if they did know they had it. So all of those inefficiencies have been a function of super two. So it's a great system. It's something we should be really proud of, but it's not without its faults and it certainly shouldn't be considered untouchable like a sacred cow. It's something that's got to evolve with the, with the, way, the way the workplace evolves. Yeah, so a couple of things on that. At the end, I think, of 19 or at the start of last year, I think it was, the Productivity Commission, they talked about the best in show list and has I haven't heard of that since. And to me, it's just such a slippery slope. The moment we start going, these are the 10 funds in Australia that are the quote-unquote best because best doesn't actually mean most appropriate. So, is there an update on this uh, Productivity Commission report? Where is it all at in relation to that? So the Productivity Commission uh, reported back in 2018 and it, it, was, it was an assessment of the efficiency of the super system and it mentioned those things that I spoke of before, multiple accounts, high fees, unnecessary insurances and a persistent tale of uh, a large number of funds that have persistently underperformed. What Best in Show was supposed to do was uh, establish a new default mechanism. What that means is if you don't choose a superannuation fund, what one do you end up in? Now, because superannuation came out of the labour movement, it came out of, it, it has an, an inexorably linked to industrial relations, it's always been that, you know, if you start a job uh, pushing trolleys at Coles, well, you went into the fund that Coles put you in um, and that would likely be uh, REST, the retail superannuation, retail workers superannuation fund. If you started work at Qantas, you might get a job, you might get, put automatically into the Qantas corporate superannuation fund. So it really depended on where you worked as to which fund you went into. But that doesn't really make sense because often people would change jobs. You might have one job at Coles and you might have one job as a waitress. And one job at Coles would require you to have one super fund and your job as a waitress would require you to have super in another fund. 
that's entirely inefficient. You get two sets of fees, two lots of insurances. It's crazy. So things have moved over time now. And in fact, we have a piece of legislation in front of the Senate at the moment to say that you're allowed to transport your super fund to any job that you go to. Your employer can't force you into a particular super fund. Um, but what happens to those people that go into their first job? How do we make sure that when they go into that first job, that the funder that they go into is a good one. Because often people don't move throughout their entire lifetime. It's a little bit like banks, you know. Once you start with a particular bank, you don't move for an entire lifetime. So how do we make sure that people aren't stuck in one that isn't underperforming? And that's what the Best in Show solution is all about. The problem with Best in Show is it's a little bit complicated to explain. Um, it was one solution to changing the default mechanism, but I think that there are other ways, that, uh, that things that we should consider when we look at changing default too. And Josh Frydenberg is going to have a lot more to say on that later in the year. Yeah, and I think one of the good things that came out of the RC, and it was kind of a low sleeper as far as I was concerned, that um, we can actually pin a super fund to you. So if there was... Uh, a lazy or someone who, person, I won't say maybe lazy, but if you weren't on top of your affairs, at least as you change your jobs, you wouldn't end up like my sister and have 12 funds. Um, it would just actually follow you because it's pinned to you through the ATO. Yeah, the Hain Royal Commission called that stapling. It meant that you had one fund with you for life. Problem is, how do we ensure that that fund that you go into the first time is a good fund because potentially if you're stuck in a bad fund for 30 years, the effect on your retirement outcomes can be enormous. So we want to make sure that we get rid of that persistently underperforming tail that's caused by a lazy superannuation system. Now, just on that, you, you mentioned that we've got a, a contribution system, not a defined benefit system, which I think is amazing because at least it's your own capital and, you know, a government or company can't change the goalposts. So, for example, for those listening in the States, if you're in a company super plan and something happens to that company, you might lose your super or your retirement savings. So, at least our system's good in relation to that. However, with COVID and the downturn and all the crap that's happened, you know, we were on track to increase the SG to 12% in 2025. Now, has there been any chatter or comments about maybe tweaking that because whatever way you cut it, as that increases, usually it's a pay rise that the employer would be paying because if someone's a casual worker earning $20 an hour plus super, uh, if it moves to 10% or 11, you know, I'm still getting my $20 an hour plus super. It's actually a pay rise uh, that the employer would fund, right? Well, not necessarily. It no. can be that the employer offers a job where they might pay $50,000 and that might include super. Yeah. So as and if that's package. the case, yes, if yes. that's the case, then it can actually be seen as a cut in pay or potentially an employer might say, well, I've had to pay more superannuation, so therefore you won't be getting a pay rise this year. So there is a, there is a flip side. I should say that that legislation to raise the superannuation guarantee from 9.5% to 12% has already passed. It's already legislated. It's yes. done. It's dusted. Um, and to unwind that is an enormous deal. So when you hear all this fuss in the, in the newspapers saying, oh, they're not going to raise the super guarantee, it's already legislated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, that said, I think you're going to hear in a post-COVID world an awful lot of pushback from the business community who are going to say, well, you can raise it, but understand that means I'm going to employ fewer people or I'm not going to give my people a pay rise this year. So 
there is a trade-off there and you know that's what that's what government's all about you know making decisions that have trade-offs either way so um as i said it's done it's dusted it's going ahead but it doesn't come without a cost. Yeah, and I think longer term, it probably even needs to go up to fifteen percent. But let's get to twelve first. But um, as I said, there's well, so many stakeholders, right? That's an interesting right? point. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to speculate on how old you are, Glenn. But um, you know, when I started my career back in the, uh, in, you know, when horses and carts roamed the streets, I was actually I actually started in 1992, and so that yeah. was the first year of compulsory super, and I only earned. 3% compulsory yeah. super back in those days. The 9.5% the is actually reasonably recent, but it's been around for a while now. And there is some evidence to say that if you're earning 9.5 or 10 or whatever it might be, that's enough to give you an adequate retirement. And you might even be better off today having that money to spend today. You might be able to create a better lifestyle for yourself today with more money. So, look, there's, it can go either way. There's lots of studies out there that show one way or the other. But understand that superannuation, while really important, is just one indicator of economic security in retirement. Things like owning your own home, um, having stable relationships. So, so divorce is pretty disastrous for retirement outcomes, particularly your health, and including situations like domestic violence. It's almost inevitable that people that have suffered domestic violence also have financial abuse as well. Um, and, uh, and so their superannuation retirement outcomes suffer and, and, and health outcomes obviously to make it a very big difference. So it's, you know, while super is fundamentally important, it is only one indicator of economic security in retirement. So, I guess on the super gender gap, so we know that there are some females who have a lower super balance. You know, is the government actively doing anything on the actual super gender gap or are we thinking if we nail the pay gap issue and, you know, get that sorted, it will flow on to the addressing the super gap? I mean, there there are things we know like the um, co-contribution, spouse contribution, stuff like that. But are there is there talk? I mean, there's so many things that we can do to make this country better. But you can't do everything at once. But anything on the super gender gap or the gender pay gap? Yeah. Look again, this is a really misunderstood concept, I think, because the super the, the sorry the gender retirement gap, which is very very real, says that women are retiring with significantly less than men. But again, that's often a function of time. It's women that are retiring now and in the next 10 years that are retiring with much less than men. Because, of course, you know, back in the 1990s, as we said, and prior to that, uh, there was no compulsory superannuation. There was also much lower rates of participation of women in the workforce and they took much longer periods of time out to look after children too. So it makes sense that they would retire with less. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, the superannuation system uh, was built around male blue-collar workers that would that walked into the workforce at the age of 19, stayed at the one employer of all their lives, retired at 65 with a gold watch and their super. And, and that's just not the way the workforce is anymore. So it's important to build a system around the way the workforce is rather than the way the workforce was. For women, though, the two big contributors to their retirement outcomes are their participation in the workforce and, you're right, the gender pay gap. And that's something that I'm actually really proud of, uh, you know, particularly up until the COVID-19 pandemic occurred. But we had higher rates of female participation in the workforce than ever before, something that I was genuinely proud of. And not only that, but we'd actually reduced the gender pay gap 
from around 17.5% when we came to government to around 14.2%. So all of that was actually creating much better retirement outcomes for women right now. But, you know, the hard part is how do you specifically address the problem of the women that are retiring in the next few years with that very large gender pay gap? Do you create two systems? We don't have two tax systems. Would we have two super systems, one for women, one for men? That just doesn't feel right and would be, you know, very unusual. So I think that there's better ways that we can deal with that gender retirement gap. Obviously, the age pension is plays an important part, things like rental assistance to make sure that women do have better economic security in retirement. The co-contribution schemes are really important, making sure that there's available and affordable childcare for women so that they can continue to participate in the work in the workforce. That's something we've done. Ensuring that you know, things like the, the changes that we've already made to insurances, that seem to disproportionately affect women. There were about 2 million women that ha- with low balance accounts or inactive accounts that were paying insurance that they didn't need that we've now, we've now removed. And, For the uh, record, I didn't love the, uh, the ditching insurances. <laughs> you didn't love that? Oh, nah. it was a terrific policy. Yeah, it's actually okay. put the control back in the hands of young people that might well be disengaged but actually had an opportunity to engage. And we can talk more about that later on yeah. if you like. No, but I think we'll, we'll, that also the other thing that we did with that reform was we proactively reunited lost superannuation accounts. And, again, there are about 1.3 or 1.4 or so million women that benefited from that process. Yeah, and I think whatever way you know, we cut it and like, again, this is not a political podcast, but whatever way we slice this um, cookie, you know, we're in an era that we have got thousands and thousands of people now listening to a podcast talking about super. How boring is that? But it's so cool because it's like we're all engaged and it's your money. And the fact that we're aware that we've got this money and can be dialed in, Uh, I just think it's great that we can be engaged. Well, actually, the COVID-19 response has really helped with that, believe it or not. I mean, as of today, I think we have around 1.78 million Australians that have applied for the early release of their superannuation, and that's equated to around $14.5 billion that's come out of the system. Mm. And uh, and it's actually a system, it's it's that that initiative has been working very, very well. I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? Because that 1.78 million Australians, sorry, 1.78, yeah, 1.78 million Australians that have had to apply, that's 1.78 million stories of financial distress. But a lot of those people would never have engaged in the superannuation system before. They're turning their mind to their super for the first time. They're saying, well, where is that nearly $1 in 10 of everything I earn going? You know, what's it invested in? Who's looking after it? Can Are they responding to my needs when they need it? And, and what's the cost to me of taking that money out? What's the trade-off here? So if you're looking for a silver lining in this, and it's very hard to find a silver lining, but if you're looking for one, I'd say that's it. Yeah, and so just touching on that, um, probably the most scandalous question that I will ask you is, like, is there going to, there's a lot of debate out there, particularly in like trade press and all that for, you know, maybe not, Oh, there's a bit in the AFR around liquidity issues of super funds and, you know, some funds are, you know, their asset allocation is skewed and they might be doing this in the background and that. Like, do you think, you know, I don't think it's the time now to overhaul, you know, disclosure and liquidity and all that, but do you think this has um, maybe prompted a discussion on 
liquidity of funds and unit price reporting and all that stuff? Yeah, I think it has, but it's not. I don't think that's the early release of Super that's been the problem. And, and particularly when you put it into context, you know, because as I said, about fourteen and a half billion dollars has come out of the Super system. Put that into context, that's about half of one percent of the entire system. So it's a very, very small amount. And so much of the money that was in Super was liquid. I mean, a balanced fund invests around twenty five percent in in ASX listed shares. So you know it's not as if the funds were going to have trouble getting their hands on the cash for early release. But what we did see was that a number of funds struggled with people staying in super but switching their assets from uh, it to cash. That was that was actually a big issue for the super funds and probably one that we need to consider with when we discuss liquidity going forward. Yeah, and, and yeah, you're probably right. I mean, ordinarily, you know, few people taking out 10 grand out of the scheme of things, not moving the needle. But if there's wholesale fear out there and people wanting to cash like a 25-year-old going, I want to move from growth to defensive, I think it speaks to a more education issue than liquidity. But having said that, I think the liquidity issue with unlisted assets um, and reporting of returns may need to be addressed at some point somehow to put all the super funds on a level playing field when the Productivity Commission are speaking about, oh, we're going to have the best in show. These funds did the best over five years, but that one there's got half of it unlisted and they're making up a return. So, you know, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but I just want to, I guess, get your view if there might be further discussion uh, that comes out of this. Well, there already was before this crisis hit. Portfolio holdings disclosures is really, really important um, uh, because yes, you're right. It's so difficult to to put a value on a, a you know a CBD skyscraper or a bridge or a road or whatever it might be. But if you're going to give a unit price from a superannuation fund for an individual account holder, well, you've got to be able to do that. How often are you doing it? Who's doing that valuation? How are they doing that? evaluation Mm. they're all really fundamental questions and something that i suppose this issue has really brought to the fore but can i say as part of the early release of super i mean a you could always access your superannuation in times of emergency whether it be financial distress or whether it be compassionate grounds all that this program did was change the criteria temporarily to allow more people to access it because there were more people in, in trouble and we thought that being on Centrelink benefits for 26 weeks was a little bit um, too stringent in, in these sort of very unusual times. Um, but, um, uh, but you know, moreover, I think that, um, you know, there were other reasons that we should be looking at, you know, we would already be looking at things like early release of superannuation for domestic violence victims, for instance. This wasn't a a new thing. But the superannuation funds, bless them, really stepped up here. I've been speaking to superannuation fund CEOs and chairs every single day throughout this process and by far and away the vast majority of them have been so helpful and so agreeable and have said, how do we step up? How do we best serve our members at this particular time? You know, how can we work with the government to get this done? And it's, it's been a terrific process. So we know that, you know, once in a hundred year crisis has just happened, you know, Josh Frydenberg will have to deliver a budget with his deficit. So if you're in a meeting and ScoMo says, Jane, what are your vibes on super? Like we've got to tighten up a few things in here. And I will say like, this is not a political podcast, but me as a 
I guess, a consumer and somebody out there in Superland, I'm so thankful that the last couple of budgets, the government have left, like, kept their mitts off everyone's super money for a change. However, if he said, we've got to tweak something, is there a thing that you will fight for, whether it's the first home super saver scheme, the co-contribution, like, do you have a, a feature? Because we know as a society, we can't have everything all the time. Like, if there has to be a trade-off, are there one or two things in super that you think they've got to stay? Yeah. So, I've got a list, you know, a long list of things that I'd like to do. Most of them centre around engagement opportunities because I think that the more people are engaged in their superannuation, the far better their outcome is. Um, but I also want to make sure that there are more opportunities to contribute. So that was one of the things that I think that this government has been particularly focused on is, is things like um, catch-up contributions. So at the moment, you can only concessionally uh, contribute $25,000 a year at a maximum into your superannuation. But uh, the change that we made was that if you have any leftover of that $25,000, you can carry it forward to the next year and the year after that and the year after that. And that way, if you can contribute more to superannuation in the years that you can afford it. And I think that's a really, really important change. Equally, uh, we did a... a, a um, a bring forward contribution, which for non-concessional caps. So that is non-concessional is when you've already paid the tax on it. Uh, let's say you sell your house and you move into a small house, although downsizing is a bit different. Let's say you, you know, mm. great auntie Mary dies and leaves you with some money. Um, let's say she leaves you with $300,000. That's great. You want to put that into superannuation. At the moment, you can only contribute 1000 sorry, 100000 a year into that. But with the bring forward rule, you can actually bring forward three years of contributions into one. You can put in $300,000 every three years, for instance. So all of that means that if the contributions to superannuation are far more flexible. But if I could make one change, one change, it would be not to the accumulation of super, but the drawdown of super. The problem is we talk about, you know, accumulating super seems to be a front of mind all the time. But in fact, the number of products available to people when they start drawing down on their super is really limited. You know, we really only have allocated pensions and they're terrific, don't get me wrong, but there's longevity risk that isn't addressed there. You know, annuities aren't very sexy anymore, particularly with really low returns out there. But we're living longer, retiring. You know, you're a long time in retirement. We should have more flexible options. So things like, um, you know, say reverse mortgages, they're really interesting. You know, they're ways of sort of supplementing your, your pension, whether it be from your superannuation or whether it be your, your aged pension, by if, if you own a house. That's there for sort of, you know, cash poor but asset rich people, you might have a great house um, that you can then, um, you know, draw down upon like a reverse loan in your in your old age so that you can afford to do the things you want to do and have a much better retirement. Mm, yeah. So, lots going on. Hey, we're out of time, but I just want to finish by saying thanks for giving us your time. I want to say that, you know, we've got a big community of engaged millennials and if you ever need any anecdotal evidence or stuff that's happening, and I think we helped the other day with some stuff, we are here because we're all living in this community and we all want the best outcome possible. And, you know, if you ever need good sample size working groups, the M3 community will be here and we'll tell you honestly what's going on out on the ground. 
That's really good to know. Thank you. You know, superannuation is one of those things where we often have older people giving us their feedback, but we rarely get younger people. So it's really nice to meet a community of engaged individuals that we can rely on. Yeah, and uh, you're welcome anytime. And we thank you for your time this afternoon. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals. This podcast supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you want some other giving options, or if you are unsure about which charity you can support, head to the thelifeyoucansave.org.au Thanks to Jess Knauss, producer, Nathan Robertson, editor, and me, Asher. Anyway, make sure you're connected via Instagram and our free Facebook group. We also film most of our content now, so check out My Millennial Money on YouTube. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.